Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to see you. Uh, my name is Kevin, and uh, we're going to be looking at the Bible together now. Uh, it'd be great if you had one um, before you to uh, look there. Uh, but before we do, why don't we pray again and ask for God's help? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can meet together as your people. Uh, we thank you that you're a God who has spoken to us in the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that as we look at your word, uh, that you might challenge and encourage us and shape us uh, to be more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, now, today is our fourth part uh, in our series, looking at the wisdom of God. Uh, so first of all, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, uh, which brings us now to the book of Song of Songs. And uh, as you may have picked up, as we read out chapter one, Song of Songs is a love poem, uh, all about the love between this man and the woman who are described. And so as we look at this book of the Bible together, uh, well, it raises the topic of relationships, right? and it raises the topic of sexual intimacy. Now, it's not an easy thing to uh, speak about uh, publicly, uh, but it's a really important topic uh, for us to consider, uh, especially when you consider what our world says about these things. Right, you think about our world, the culture around us. In one way, some ways, our world overvalues sex. It says sex is everything. But on the other hand, our world seems to deeply undervalue sex. It says sleep with whoever you like. And of course, we see the rise of pornography, particularly through the internet uh, and the way that that degrades and corrupts our sexuality. And so all that's to say is, well, it's a good thing. Uh, good that we're looking at this part of the Bible together. Uh, we want to hear what God has to say to us. Uh, but as we come to a sensitive issue, well, it's important, but a sensitive issue, well, we need to make sure we're gracious uh, and loving and kind uh, in the way that we speak. So as we look at uh, this book then, there's kind of two parts to the talk. The first part, we're going to look at the song. Uh, I'll look at a couple of different parts. Uh, the idea of this series is, uh, I mean, we can't cover the whole book in just one talk. Uh, the idea is that you go home and read it, right? And I hope that uh, over this series, you're going to read some of these uh, books in the Bible. Uh, and uh, that's really our goal for today, right? As we look at the song, I have a bit of a, a big picture overview, but you'll be really encouraged to go home and uh, read Song of Songs for yourself. So that's the first part. The second part, uh, we'll think, how does this book apply to us as Christians? So with all that in mind, let's look then, verse 1, and uh, we see the title, verse 1, Solomon's Finest Song. Now there's two words, finest song, translate of the original Song of Songs. Right? This is the song that is the best of all the songs, and it seems verse 1 was written by King Solomon. Now, one of the things you'll notice, uh, we saw before, there's, there's a number of characters uh, that speak. So the W is the woman, the Y, the young women of Jerusalem, uh, M uh, is the man, N is the narrator, and B are the brothers, right? So these different characters that speak in the song. And uh, this is just the, the uh, opinion of the translators, right? That's not part of the original uh, those letters, uh, but helpful for us. And it's worth saying, I think, in the original language in Hebrew, uh, there is a different kind of you, right? So there's you masculine and you feminine, right? So it's much easier, I think, in the original to tell who's speaking. Uh, so really helpful that we have uh, those letters there. So the first character that speaks is 
is the woman, right? And she seems to be the main character of the song. She speaks first, uh, she speaks last, and really seems to be the centre of all that happens. Now, who is this woman? Well, we don't really know, right? There's only one reference to her identity. It comes in chapter 7, uh, which is called the Shalomalite, right? So there you go. That's uh, helpful for us to know uh, about the woman. Uh, but what about the man, right? Her love, uh, the other major character. Who do we think the man might be? Well, you would have seen, as we read out a couple of times, uh, that the woman describes the man as a king, right? So verse 4, she says, Oh, that the king would bring me to his chambers, right? So you read that and think, Oh, must, must be Solomon, right? Maybe the man is Solomon, and Solomon's writing this song about himself, and his relationship with this Shalomite woman. Now that is possible, but, but not necessary, right? This is, this is poetry, and it's quite reasonable for, well, the woman, uh, even she has a very ordinary man, perhaps even a shepherd, uh, very reasonable for, for her in poetry to describe him as a king, right? So not necessarily Solomon, uh, not necessarily that he is uh, the man character. And in fact, as we start thinking about Solomon and love and women, well, there is a bit of an, uh, an elephant in the room, isn't there? Because Solomon wasn't exactly a model husband, right? 1 Kings chapter 11, we see that Solomon had 700 wives, right? And 300 concubines, right? So a thousand women in his harem. And it's very different to the song, doesn't it? The Song of Songs seems to be this exclusive relationship between the man and the woman. And I wonder even actually at the very end of the song, where if you turn to chapter 8, there might be a reference to Solomon and his many women. So uh, turn in your Bibles, Song of Songs, chapter 8. So chapter 8, verse 11. The woman's speaking here and she tells uh, kind of a little bit of a parable, right? It's hard to understand, but we'll have a look. Verse 11, uh, the woman says, Solomon owned a vineyard in Baal Haman. He leased the vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for his fruit 1,000 pieces of silver. Now, the number 1,000, I mean, could be a coincidence, but, well, it does well, fit the same number that Solomon uh, had in his harem. Uh, in the song, the vineyard, the, the woman uses it to describe her own body uh, as a metaphor. And so verse 12, the woman says, I have my own vineyard. The 1,000 are for you, Solomon, but 200 for those who guard its fruit. Uh, it's almost like the woman is saying to Solomon, okay, you've got your 1,000 women, right? That's for you. Uh, but I have my own vineyard, my own body, and I will choose what to do with that. And she chooses to give it to her lover, uh, the man in the poem. And so verse 10, just before, she says she has found peace. Right? She has found shalom in the arms of this man. So what's going on? Well, I just, I don't know, I wonder, maybe Solomon, after a, a long life of many women, uh, reflecting on love at the end of his life, perhaps pens this song to reflect on the true nature of love or maybe someone else has written this song right kind of critiquing Solomon and with a great dose of irony has dedicated to King Solomon right this is Solomon's finest song 
But in the end, hard to know, right? We don't really know who the man or the woman were. Uh, we don't even know if they were real people, right? It could be just uh, a fictional character, you know, an idealized couple that show us the true nature of love. But one thing is clear, though, in the song is that this man and the woman are deeply in love, right? So look back, chapter 1. Let me read the opening verses. So from verse 2, the woman speaks, Oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. The fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. Your name is perfume poured out. No wonder young women adore you. Take me with you. Let us hurry. Oh, that the king would bring me to his chambers. And the great, the great joy of this, this book, right, Song of Songs, is you see the way that the, the man and the woman find great delight in one another. And I really hope you see that as, as you go home uh, and read the book. And you see it in the way they describe one another. Right? All these beautiful uh, uh, words they use to describe one another. It's, it's worth saying, I think, not, not all the metaphors kind of work in our context. Right? So, for example, chapter 1, verse 9, uh, the man says... I compare you, my darling, to a mare, right? To a horse among Pharaoh's chariots, right? Probably wouldn't recommend you use that uh, with the special uh, woman in your life, right? There you go. A tip for, uh, tip for young players there, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's worth just thinking for a moment. I mean, beauty is more than just physical appearance, isn't it? Right? You think about a horse, well, powerful, graceful. Maybe there is more to the metaphor than first meets the eye. But what we see is that for the man, he finds this, this great delight in the woman. Right? Give me a, I'll give you a couple of examples. So chapter 4, right? listen to the man speak. Chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful behind your veil. Your eyes are doves. Your hair is like, well, like a flock of goats streaming down Mount Gilead. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet cord and your mouth is lovely. Verse 7, you are absolutely beautiful, my darling, with no infection in you. Verse 9, you have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. Now, the woman is not literally his sister. It's just a term of endearment. He continues, you have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful your love is, my sister, my bride. Your love is much better than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any balsam. And so you can see just from those snippets of the song the, the great delight that the man takes in the woman. And so at this point, I'm just going to stop for a moment and to, and to speak to those who are married uh, in our congregation and uh, particularly speak to the husbands, right? So if you're a husband here, uh, you have some homework for the week ahead, right? You've got to think, how can you cultivate a delight in your wife? And how can you communicate that to her? Right? So husbands, I'm serious. This is your homework, right? You've got to go home, think about your wife, and think, what could you say to her? How could you communicate your great delight in her? 
right? And for the wives, just a quick note, right? If your husband does that, don't, don't laugh at him. Don't smirk at him, right? If you make fun of him, he won't try again. All you need to do is just say, say something simple, right? Thank you, right? That's it. <laughs> Move on, right? But the husbands, I'm serious, this is your homework, right? If we want to, as we see this uh, beautiful relationship portrayed before us, well, for husbands, you need to work at it. You've got to work out how do you communicate that to your wife. But one of the things that's really beautiful about the song is you see that not just the way the man delights in the woman, but the way that that is, uh, comes back, that the woman delights in the man. Right? So turn with me to chapter 5 for a moment. Right? Chapter 5. What's interesting here, I think, is so if you look at verse 9. Uh, the young women of Jerusalem, the, the why, they ask this question of the woman. They say, what makes the one you love better than another, most beautiful of women? Uh, you kind of get the idea that the man is not anyone particularly special, uh, just an ordinary kind of guy, hence the question, you know, what's so special about him? But have a look at what the woman sees uh, in the man as she answers in verse 10. Verse 10, my, my love is fit and strong. Notable among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water washed in milk and set like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, towers of perfume. His lips are lilies dripping with flowing myrrh. Verse 16, his mouth is sweetness. He is absolutely desirable. This is my love, and this is my friend, young women of Jerusalem. It's really lovely, isn't it, to see the way that the woman finds such delight in her man. And so if I can just speak again, well, to those who are married, right, to the wives, well, you too have homework this week, right? However ordinary your man might seem, you need to think, well, how can you find great delight in him? And how can you communicate that to him? Right? So husband, wives, you've got some, uh, some work ahead of you. But coming back to the song, uh, the other thing we see are these poetic descriptions of the intimacy that the man and the woman share. So turn me to chapter 7 for a moment. Chapter 7, verse 11. Uh, what we see in the description, it's not vulgar or crass like we might expect from our world. Uh, but this beautiful description, right? So chapter 7, verse 11. Come, my love, let's go to the field. Let's spend the night among the henna blossoms. Let's go early to the vineyards. Let's see if the vine has budded, if the blossom has opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. And I think the thing that makes it so special is it's, well, it's between the man and the woman, Right? And we've seen well, for seven chapters the great delight that they take in each other. And as we see the depth of their relationship, well, it's only natural that it would lead to this sexual union described here. Now, so far in the passages we've read in the song, they've all been overwhelmingly positive, haven't they? And by and large, the song is very positive uh, about their relationship. But there are a couple of points, and you'll see this as you read it, things are a little bit more negative right so chapter three chapter five there are these two scenes where the woman is searching for her love and as you read it you really kind of feel that the heartache of the woman 
as she desires and seeks after her man. And then you just can't help, I think, feel this, this great joy when they're reunited and they come back together. And so all this works together, then the positive uh, and even the negative passages, they all work together to reinforce the main point of the song, which I think uh, comes clearly for us in chapter 8, right? Chapter 8, verse 6. What we see as we get there is a bit of a break from the kind of poetry of the song to these verses that you would expect more to find in, in the book of Proverbs, right? It sounds like the kind of wisdom literature, right? So look there, the woman speaking, chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. Thinking about their, their commitment. But then she says, for love is as strong as death. Ardent love is as unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, the fiercest of all. Mighty waters cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for love... It would be utterly scorned. Right? We see the big point of the song is to show us that this, this love is a powerful force. The author describes it as these, these fierce flames, flames that cannot be quenched. And as we read through you know, seven chapters of poetry describing the, the intimacy between the man and the woman, we, we have to agree Right? We say, yes, love is this powerful force, this, this fiery flame. And yet we also see in the song as with, with great power also comes danger. Right? Three times in the song we see the woman give this warning. So chapter 3, verse 5, the first of the warnings. Uh, it's repeated almost word for word three times. So chapter 3, verse 5, uh, this is the warning she gives. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. So what we see then as we see this powerful force of love, well, we need to be careful, right? We need to think, when is the appropriate time to awaken this force? Now, when we think about love in the Bible, I mean, there's, there's lots that we can say, can't we, as we think about, well, what is love? I mean, in some ways, love is a feeling. In other ways, love is an action. I mean, think of 1, sorry, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, there's many things about love. But as we look at this warning in particular, and as we reflect on, on, on Song of Songs, there is, it seems, a particular focus on that sexual intimacy, and the powerful force of, of sexual attraction between the man and the woman. And as we see that, that powerful force, we need to remember that in God's design, well, he has put boundaries on this. Right? There are appropriate times to awaken love. And I think it's worth saying, just as we, we look at the big picture of the Bible, that we see that God has a design for relationships. Right? God, as the creator, he, he made us to live in a particular way. His intention, his design is that sexual intimacy be within the marriage relationship. Right? The lifelong union of husband and wife, of one husband, of one wife. God's design is that sex is within 
marriage. But as we come to that point and the clear teaching of Scripture, I think it's just worth recognizing for a moment that in our church family there will be those who have fallen in this regard. Right? See, for us as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised about this. I mean, as Christians, we're very well aware of sin, right? And we look at Song of Songs, we see this sexual attraction, a, a powerful force. Well, we shouldn't be surprised to find amongst our church family those who have fallen in this way, that there are those who have been sexually intimate with someone who was not their spouse. Perhaps something back in the past, perhaps it's a present struggle for you now. Right? We shouldn't be surprised that this would happen amongst our family of believers. But just because we're not surprised by it, that doesn't make it okay. Right? God's word is very clear. Right? His design for relationships is very clear. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. And it's worth us recognizing that. And that's something we've struggled in. Well, we need to admit that before God. But just think back to our recent series on the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what Jesus said? He said, The one who looks lustfully at a woman in his heart, sorry, one who looks lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And we brought in the definition of sexual sin. Well, we realize we all fall short, right? And it's important to recognize the ways that we fall short. But we cannot leave it there, right? See, for us as Christians, well, we remember the great news of Jesus, right? This is what we remember every week as we come together, that in Jesus we find forgiveness, that no matter our past, that we can be washed clean because of what Jesus has done, because of his death on the cross. And I think a good reminder to remember, well, as Christians, we are saved by grace. And we have confidence that we can find forgiveness in him. But of course, knowing that forgiveness, well, the Bible encourages God wants us to live his way. So 1 Corinthians, Paul says, knowing that you were bought at a price, then flee, flee from sexual immorality. Right, And you think how powerful that force is, that fiery flame that cannot be extinguished. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? In the face of sexual immorality, that you would flee and that you would seek to glorify God with your body. Well, hopefully you can see then, as we've looked through different parts of the song, that love, love is a powerful force, right? A good gift from God but one that we need to be careful with. And we must be careful to awaken at the right time. And hopefully having just looked at some of the chapters, some of the verses in this book, uh, you've been really encouraged to, to go home and read it. Right? To go home, take out your Bible, turn up Song of Songs, to go home and read it. That's what I'd really love for you to do uh, in the week ahead. But that brings us then to the second part of the talk, right? which is to think about how this book applies to us as Christians. And there's kind of two broad things uh, I'll say. Uh, the first thing is to think about the song as wisdom for marriage, right? So particularly relevant to those who are married in our congregation, right? To think of the song as wisdom for marriage. But then the second thing to think about 
is to ask, well, how does this book of the Bible point us to Jesus? Right? Something which applies to all of us as Christians. And that's, the, that's what we'll finish with uh, in a moment. But firstly then, how does the song function as God's wisdom for marriage? Well, pretty simple, I think, uh, as we see this uh, wonderful intimacy betrayed before us of the, the man and the woman. Uh, well, I mean, you've already had your homework, right? Husbands and wives, take delight in your spouse, right? And think about how you can communicate that to them, right? And you see this wonderful picture uh, before us. But the other thing I think the song really encourages those who are married uh, is to make sure you enjoy sexual intimacy with your spouse, right? This is God's gift to marriage. Sex is the glue that binds together the husband and the wife. And in fact, we see this same teaching in the New Testament, right? 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. He says, do not deprive one another sexually. He says, actually, you can't you can have a pause for a moment, right? So you can pray, right? That's the exception he gives. And then he says, you must come back together, right? Pretty clear teaches it for those who are married, enjoy sexual intimacy with your spouse. But it's really important to say, if we want our marriages to reflect the kind of intimacy that's portrayed before us, it's not the kind of thing that comes naturally, right? The husband and the wife need to work hard at it. They need to invest time and energy in their relationship. And the Song of Songs, I think, really encourages us to work towards that. So I hope at the very least, as we look at this book of the Bible together, that for those who are married, that you sit down together and you talk honestly about your relationship. Right? You ask, well, how are things going? How are we going? What can we do to improve what's happening? But I guess particularly having looked at Song of Songs together, uh, as we've thought about the place of sexual intimacy in the marriage, uh, I think just a couple of other things that I would say to those who are married, uh, for those who want to improve the sexual intimacy uh, in their relationship. So the first thing, the most important thing, I think, is to work on your own relationship, right? To make sure that you're spending good time together, uh, making sure you've dealt with all the conflict in your relationship that comes up. Uh, and I think that's probably the most important thing, right? To work on your relationship. But the second thing is, I just wanted to uh, recommend a book uh, to those who are married. Uh, so here it is, it's called uh, Sheet Music, uh, a Christian book uh, that talks about sexual intimacy. Uh, really helpful, really practical. Uh, so I just really encourage the married couples, if you want to order a copy anonymously online, good way to, uh, to do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, just really want to commend that to you. Uh, but the third thing I want to say uh, is that if, if you're married and you, and you recognise that your marriage is not where it should be, uh, if you realise your sexual intimacy with your spouse is not where it should be, then I think it's really important that you seek help, right? And I want to put the offer out, right, for the blokes. Uh, if you recognise that is true... Uh, then I'd be really happy to chat to you about it, right? For the women, uh, you could speak to my wife, Amy, if you like, uh, or you may like to speak to Troy or Sarah or Phil or Vic or whoever it is. Uh, but I think it's really important that, that we deal with this. Now, I have to say, right, it's probably going to be a bit of a, 
an awkward conversation, right? Uh, But the reason I say it is I think it's such an important thing, right? My conviction is that God's gift to marriage, the thing that strengthens the relationship between husband and wife, well, is this gift of sexual intimacy. And so I think it's really important that we're honest about this. And to put it kind of, you know, bluntly, I guess I'd much rather we have, you know, honest and awkward conversations now than people not say anything. And then 10 years on, our church is filled with dead and lifeless marriages. Right? So I just really want to encourage those who are married. If you're not being sexually intimate in your relationship, then you need to do something about it. Right? And it's really important. I want you to hear that as we look at this book together. So that's the first application then, right? God's wisdom on marriage. But the second thing I said, well, to ask, how does the book point us to Jesus? And I have to say, it's not an, not an easy thing to see, right? Because, well, as you read through the book, there is no reference to God in it. Right? It seems a bit unusual, doesn't it? In the book of the Bible, no reference to God. There may potentially, chapter 8 in the footnote, maybe a reference to God. I don't know, not convinced, but... God certainly doesn't, uh, is not very prominent uh, in this book. So what's going on? How does the book point us to Jesus? Well, I think the key is to reflect on the Bible's use of the metaphor of marriage to describe God and his people, right? So you think of the Old Testament, Yahweh is described as a husband of the nation of Israel. Or think of the New Testament, Jesus is described as a husband to the church right we as the church are the bride of christ but i don't know about you but as you sort of stop and think about that metaphor it it does seem a little bit strange don't you think right to think of us together as the bride of christ right particularly having just looked at song of songs together and thought about all the different aspects of marriage you think well in what way are we the bride of christ well i think what's really helpful is to We'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians, right? Book of Ephesians, turn there. Uh, Church Bibles, it's 1078, I think. Ephesians chapter 5, turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Is it page 1078? Is that right? Yep, yep, some nods, that's positive yeah okay all right so ephesians chapter 5 uh verse 22 we see paul's teaching on marriage and we often talk about these passages you know wives submit to your husbands as to the lord verse 25 husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church Uh, but i really want to focus on the end of the passage right the part that we don't look at so often uh, verse 31 so look there so as paul talks about marriage he quotes from genesis right makes sense uh, quote from Genesis uh, 2, uh, verse 31 in Ephesians, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And you think, okay, that makes sense. You know, he's talking about marriage, the two becoming one flesh. But have a look now at verse 32, right? See what he says next. He says, This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Right? See, first of all, when it comes to marriage, Paul wants to talk about Christ and the church. So as we think about God, it's, 
It's not like I think, well, the way that I love my wife, Amy, right, that's the way Jesus loves me. Right? That's the wrong way to think about it, to start with a human marriage and then think about God. It, it, it's the opposite. No, we start, we start with Jesus. And we think about the way he loves us. And then the challenge for husbands, well, for me, is to love my wife in that same way. But come back to Jesus for a minute. Think about, well, in what way does he love us? And, of course, we know the answer. Well, by coming into our world and dying in our place, right? This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Right? And for anyone who is a Christian, this is the love that we know. That Jesus gave his life while we were his enemies. He gave his life for us. This is how incredible our Saviour is, our Lord. That he would enter into our world and give his life as a ransom for many. And so for any believer, any Christian, this is the love that we know, the love of God. And it's as we reflect on that and the great joy to know Jesus that brings this wonderful sense of contentment in our life, regardless of our situation. See, our world says, our world says seek fulfillment in relationships and sex. But what we find in the gospel is that Christians find perfect contentment, fulfillment in knowing Jesus as our saviour. And it's as we reflect on that, well, then it puts much less pressure on our relationships in this life, puts much less pressure on our sexual experience. See, for us as Christians, right, you can be happily married and know the contentment that comes in Christ. You can be struggling in marriage and know the contentment that comes in Christ. You can be happily single and know the contentment that comes in Christ. You can be struggling with singleness and find contentment in Christ. See, the great joy for us as Christians is we know Jesus, right? the one who came to die in our place. But if that's the big picture of marriage and the way it works in the New Testament, what does Song of Songs in particular add to that picture? And I think what I'd say is as we look at this portrayal of the relationship before us, of the man and the woman, we see this, this deep emotional connection between them. Right? The great delight that they have in one another. And so the question it raises, do we have that same emotional connection with God? Do we find great delight in him, in our relationship? Now it's going to be a different kind of emotion, right? It's worth being clear on that, different to what we see in Song of Songs. And in the Psalms, you see the way the psalmist really finds great delight and joy in knowing God. And so the question to ask is, well, is that true of you? Right, I'll give you an illustration, right? I want you to imagine for a moment a marriage, right? This uh, couple, husband and wife, and uh, they serve one another, but they do it out of cold-hearted duty, right? So every night, the wife makes dinner, puts it in front of the husband, here you go. The husband... Every night, 
clears the table, washes up, put things away. There, done. And this continues for 30 years. All right, now how would you describe their marriage relationship? It's pretty sad, isn't it? Pretty depressing. And yet, does that describe your relationship with God? Right? You may be faithful in serving him. You may work hard to honour him. But if it's just out of cold-hearted duty, then I think you've missed something really important in the gospel. See, for us as Christians, we find great delight in knowing Jesus. Right Now, we know what he's like. He's loving, right? He's gracious. He serves us. And so the question to ask is with us. I mean, it could be we started the Christian life with great joy, but over time, it's just seeped out. And so if we're honest, we say, well, actually, yeah, that's, that's true. I serve God out of cold-hearted duty. And I hope as we look at Song of Songs, that's a real, a real challenge to you then, to recognize the problem. I mean, that's the first step, right? To recognize the problem, but then to do something about it. Right? First of all, you can pray. Ask God to renew your heart that you again would find great joy in knowing the Lord Jesus. I mean, you can commit yourself to, to reading his word, to reminding yourselves of who Jesus is, of what he's done for you. I'm praying that as God, sorry, as you do that, that God would transform and shape your heart and that he would grow in you your hope of heaven. Right? See, that's the hope we know as Christians. Right? Because of what Jesus has done, we can look forward to life forever with him. That we can look forward to life forever with him, the one who loves and serves us. Well, how about I lead us in prayer and give thanks for that. Our Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the way that he loves and serves us, for his willingness to lay down his life. Father, we know that we do not deserve this, that we actually deserve your judgment. But we thank you for that wonderful forgiveness, that wonderful promise that we can be washed clean in Jesus. And Father, for each of us, as we recognize the sin in our life, may we continue to rely and depend on the gospel. Father, we pray for those who are married in our congregation. Help them to love and serve one another. In our church, may we have healthy marriages where husbands and wives find great joy and delight in one another and seek to serve one another with joy. And Father, for all of us, we Father, sorry, Father, we ask that you would reshape our heart, renew our heart, that we would find great joy in the wonder of knowing you and help us to look forward to that great hope of heaven and life eternal with our Saviour. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together now uh, how deep the Father's love uh, as we reflect well, on the way that God has shown love to us.